You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Let's pray and ask God to touch our hearts tonight as we get right into the message. Father, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us in 2019. You've been with us every single step of the way, and we have felt your presence. Lord, you've been so faithful and good to us, and we just pray tonight that you would speak right to our hearts. I pray you would just anoint me, your servant, as I share this word tonight. Without your anointing, we are nothing. We just need your presence and your anointing to make this message what it needs to be. So speak through me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Thanks, gang. Appreciate it. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about the difference between hope and optimism. The difference between hope and optimism. There's a huge difference between the two. Uh, Optimism is little orphan Annie singing, the sun will come out tomorrow. Well, I'm sorry, the sun doesn't always come out, little orphan Annie. Hope is, is much, much different. And the Apostle Paul talks about the difference between hope and optimism in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Listen to his words. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, what are jars of clay? Jars of clay are these bodies that house or kind of encase our, our spirit and our souls. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is just temporary, it's wasting away, but what is unseen is eternal. I love the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. I think what he's saying is, look, there's an outer you that's your hair, your fingernails, your skin. And there's also an inner you. That's your heart, your spirit, your personality. Now, the outer you gets all the attention, but the inner you is invisible. The outer you is temporary, but the inner you is eternal. The outer you can be persecuted, hurt, even killed, but no one can touch the inner you without your permission. Oh, one more thing about the outer you. Paul says, outwardly, we are wasting away. How many can attest to that here tonight? You feel a little that going on. Sooner or later, old man wrinkle is coming for all of us. And if you don't believe that, just turn and look at the person sitting next to you right now, and you will see that outwardly, we are wasting away. You see, around the age of about 25, certain changes start to happen to the outer you. Your bones start to lose calcium and get brittle. Your skin starts to lose elasticity and it shrivels. Age spots start to appear in your body. You look at your hands one day and say, man, those aren't my hands. Those are my dad's hands. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, The weight begins to shift from the poles of your body toward the equator. Hair stops growing where you want it to grow, and it boldly grows where no hairs have ever grown before. Now, this is a pretty young crowd here tonight, and some of you are not yet 25 years of age, 
And you're looking at me like, dude, you are old. I'm 50 years old, all right? That's what, what's happening to you is never going to happen to me. Old age, hair loss, wrinkles, that's never going to happen to me. And those of us who are older and a little more experienced, we get it. We understand how you feel. But I want to tell you, it is going to happen to you too. And frankly, I can't wait until it does happen to you. <laughs> because hourly we are wasting away. And the truth is, we live in this culture where we all keep trying and, and praying and paying large sums of money to try to renew the outer man. Now, my hero in life is this guy right here, my dad, Pastor Tommy Barnett. <laughs> Look at that guy, 82 years of, of age. Uh, last week, I played golf with him. He shot his age in golf. He shot at 82. He's my hero. But, but last time he was in Southern California preaching at this church, he, he, he was reading in a magazine about this thing called Botox. And so he thought to himself, you know, uh, maybe I can just buy a few years by start in, starting to inject Botox into my system. So he's been doing that for three weeks since he's been here, and the changes have been amazing. Take a look at this. It just looks remarkable. What's, what's happened to him? Some of you are like, I'm going to get some Botox right now, man. That's pretty amazing. And look, I'm not some fuddy-duddy who, you know, doesn't believe in Botox and, you know, working out and taking care of yourself. But honestly, that's really all outer you stuff. And we live in a culture that fixates on the outer you while paying very little attention to the inner you, which is the only thing that's really going to last. So Paul is writing to real people here at a church in Corinth, people who are facing very real problems in life, just like you and me. And Paul says, look, my body is going south in a hurry. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. And the wear and tear on my body is not due to the same problems that you're experiencing in your life. Because Paul says, look, I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been placed in prisons and cells and changed and thrown in cisterns. In fact, nothing about my personal outer resume is on the upswing. Not my physical body, not my, not my possessions, you know, not my financial life. None of that stuff is on the upswing. But listen to Paul's perspective. Verse 16, I don't lose heart. Though outwardly I am wasting away, yet inwardly, inwardly I'm coming alive. I'm being renewed day by day. Paul is saying, look, what's happening to me on the outside doesn't even bother me that much because something is happening on the inside of me. And what's happening on the inside of me is the opposite of what's happening to the outside of me. Outside, I'm wasting away. Outside, I'm dying a little bit. On the, but on the inside, I'm coming to life. On the inside, I'm changing every day. I am growing. I'm getting better. I'm getting stronger. I'm becoming more like Jesus Christ. On the inside, Paul says, even though I'm dying on the outside, on the inside, I have this joy that keeps bubbling up inside of me, even though I'm in chains sitting in prison. On the inside, I find myself loving people more, even the people who put me in this prison. It's the strangest thing, Paul says. I keep dying on the outside, but I don't lose hope because inside, it's like I'm coming alive. And Paul says, it's just fabulous. It's amazing what's happened to me. So verse 18, he wraps up this little discourse by saying, so we fix our eyes not on what we can see, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now here's where I'm going. 
The Apostle Paul is reminding us that in all these areas of life where so many people pin their ultimate hopes and dreams, their, their resumes, their status, their finances, even our bodies, it's all wasting away. And we can be as optimistic about all those things as we wish to be, but ultimately, optimism will never be enough. It'll never, ever be. I, I, I'd much rather you be optimistic than pessimistic, but optimism will never, ever be enough. You need more. You need something of more substance. You need hope. Now, here's a big question I want to pose to you before we wrap this up. What do you do in your life when it feels like wasting away is winning the day? What do you do when you wake up one day and realize that you built your whole life on optimism and you start to realize that optimism will not be enough because optimism will never be enough? I want to tell you about one story in the Bible about the kind of hope that actually transcends optimism. Lazarus lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And whenever Jesus would travel to their town, Judea, on business, he was a carpenter, he would spend time with his really good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. One day, Lazarus, the Bible says, got sick. We don't know what it was. Maybe he had a fever. Maybe he found a lump on his body. It happens to people every single day because outwardly we are wasting away. And so Lazarus goes in to get whatever kind of medical help was available during those days. And I'm sure he was very optimistic as he went to the doctor's office. I'm sure he thought there must be a cure for whatever we have. But his optimism died when the doctors shook their head and said, there's nothing that we can do for you. And now Mary and Martha are desperate. And we pick the story up in John chapter 11 and verse 3. This is what it says. So the sisters sent word. They're going to send a messenger to Jesus. Lord, the messenger said, the one that you love is sick. Now, why would they send a messenger to Jesus because they know that in Jesus there's life in Jesus there's hope in Jesus there's healing there's healing in the name of Jesus come on somebody they knew that they knew that and notice that the messenger doesn't even say the name Lazarus you know they see they, they'd watched Jesus heal people before complete strangers and Lazarus wasn't a stranger to Jesus. He was a really good friend, such a good friend that the messenger says, the, the Lord, the one you love is sick, and Jesus knows exactly who they're talking about. Verse 5 is a very strange verse. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, that's, that's kind of odd, don't you think? I mean, if my really good friend, Pastor Juergen, somehow, you know, is in the hospital, you know, getting treatment for something, I'm going to get on a plane and get over here like yesterday, right? I'm going to go right away. But this text says that Jesus loved them, so he stayed where he was for two more days. Why does he delay coming for two more days? I'll get back to that in just a moment. Well, finally, after two days, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 7, let's go back to Judea. Now, at this point, they're still a two-day journey away from Judea. And remember, he's already delayed coming back for two days. So when they arrive in Judea, Lazarus has been dead for four straight days. And Mary and Martha are surrounded by friends and family. The whole community is there weeping and crying. Verse 20 says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him and said, Lord, if only you had been here, well, my brother would, would not have died. If only, if only, if only. 
on this final week of 2019, I think most people in this place probably have some if-onlys in your life. That's what Shredder Sunday really is all about. If only I had made wiser choices. If only I had gone to the doctor a little bit sooner. If only I had told her I loved her. If only I had said I'm sorry. If only I would have accepted that person's apology. And sometimes it can feel in life like the if onlys are going to be the end of our story. But friends, they do not have to be the end of our story. There is someone you can take your if onlys to. Man, he would love to raise those dead things back to life in your life. There is someone you can take your if onlys to. Well, Martha brings her if onlys to Jesus. Maybe she starts by blaming herself. If only I would have gone directly to Jesus and not sent a messenger, maybe he would have come back. But then she turns the blame to Jesus and says, if only you had come four days earlier, you know, my brother would not be dead. I love Jesus' response here in verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again, Martha. And she says, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection on the last day, Martha says, Jesus, I know that someday in the rapture, we're all going to rise and we're going to be with you in eternity forever. I have hope for that, but I don't have hope for right now, my life on this earth, because my brother is dead. Then Jesus makes this one-of-a-kind statement. A statement that no other religious leader would ever dare to make. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will, will live. They'll never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And now we start to understand the difference between hope and optimism. Martin Luther King Jr. was a brilliant man. One day he was asked, the difference between, about the difference between hope and optimism. This is what he said, catch this. Optimism is belief in just progress. Optimism is a belief that circumstances in your life are going to change. Optimism fixes its eyes on what is seen and therefore will always be on shaky ground. There's nothing wrong with optimism, but optimism is always on shaky ground because it's built on what we can see. If you build your life on optimism alone, you're going to lose heart because it's always on shaky ground. Outwardly, we're wasting away. But hope is this conviction that we carry deep in our hearts that there's another reality out there. Come on, say amen out there. There's something more out there. There's a king that exists out there, and it's always existed. And it's doing very, very well right now. And ultimately, that hope is knowing that that kingdom will prevail. That one will prevail. That's real hope. Well, Mary and Martha are way beyond optimism. Lazarus is dead, and their hearts are broken. Verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was troubled. Now, the word weeping here is a bit misleading. It, it, it's not what, like what we do at funerals in our day, kind of a quiet, polite, you know, sniffling. There's, there's, there's a wall in Jerusalem called the Wailing Wall. And people go to this wall to, to, to cry out in anguish to God, these, these loud wailing kinds of prayers. That's exactly what is taking place in this town. There's wailing, there's crying, there's anguish all over the town. And Jesus shows up. And then we see the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus sees all this crying. And verse 35 says, then Jesus wept. Now Jesus is crying. What's going on here? 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Sure he knows. So why is he weeping? Why is he crying? Why is he crying these buckets of tears? But Jesus looks around, and he sees Mary and Martha. They've lost their hope. He looks around, all the town people, they're weeping and crying. They're all fixated on that tomb. They're all fixated on death. And Jesus, he he can tell that the, the focus of the whole community is on the tomb. It's on death. Jesus Christ is there in their presence. God Almighty is standing right there in their presence. Jesus is not the vice president of heaven. He is God. He he, he is a, a, a part of the Godhead, the Trinity. He was there when the heavens and the earth were created. He was very involved in that. He is God in every sense of the word. And God is standing there in their presence, and they're still locked in their tombs of death. They're still locked in their tombs of despair. So he weeps for them. This is one of the greatest revelations of God's heart for the people he loves. Because a couple days after this, Jesus will weep again. He will find himself outside the city of Jerusalem, looking at that city and thinking about all the people who live in that city. People just like you and me, who are trapped in things like worry and anxiety and addiction and fear and sin and confusion. He thinks about death in all of its forms, racism and injustice and poverty and greed. And he says in Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus weeps for Jerusalem. He weeps for San Diego. He weeps for Phoenix. He weeps for America. He weeps for people to understand that he has the power to raise dead things in our lives if we were just willing to let him. Then he stops and weeping, and he faces the tomb. Because outwardly, we are wasting away. And ultimately, in this life, it leads to tombs. And tombs lead all of us to ask this one question. Where are your eyes fixed? Are your eyes fixed only on these jars of clay? Are your eyes fixed just on optimism, things you can see? Or are your eyes fixed on what is unseen? A better reality. A greater hope. You know, for many generations, parents have tucked their children in bed, saying a prayer with them that goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a real cheerful way to tuck your kids in bed at night, don't you think? But I learned about a year ago, there's actually a second verse to this prayer. Are you aware of this? A second verse. It goes like this. Our days begin with trouble here. Imagine praying this to their kids. Our life is but a span, and cruel death is always near. Night-night, honey, sweet dreams. You know, it's crazy, right? People have prayed this prayer for years because they want their kids to be grounded. They want their kids to understand that, that death is real, that outwardly we are wasting away, but that's not the end of our story. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. There's a greater reality. There's a greater hope. There's another way to think about these jars of clay, which is like the ultimate end of the optimism road. Mel Blank was called the man of 1,000 voices. 
He was a voice behind all the cartoon characters in Looney Tunes. How many watched Looney Tunes while you're growing up? Yeah. At the end of every episode of a Looney Tunes cartoon, this guy would appear on the screen. What was his name? Porky Pig. And he would say what? Yibbity, yibbity, yibbity. That's all, folks, right? He was saying, the show's over. Okay? Time to go home. Bye. There's nothing else to see here. Mel Blanc died because outwardly we're wasting away. And you'll never guess what his family put on his tombstone. Three words. That's all, folks. Every tomb that you see in your life calls you to ask this question. Is Porky Pig right? Is that all there is, folks? Is the show really over? Jesus faces the tomb. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been dead for four days. Now, if you know anything about Martha's reputation, she was a meticulous hostess. She wanted everything to be right for her guests. And she knows the moment they roll that stone away, it's going to release an awful stench and it'll be very uncomfortable for all the guests. So she says, in essence, Lord, let's just not go there. You tried to get back here on time. You failed. You missed the window. Let's just let it be now, God. It's over with. The show's over. It's time to go home. The four-day mark was also significant in Jewish folk belief. Because for the first three days, it was believed that the spirit of the body would hover around the bodies in hopes of jumping back in the body and coming back to life. But after four days, because of decay and decomposition, the spirit would just give up and kind of go away. And the point that John wants us all to understand is this. Friends, Lazarus was really, really dead, all right? He was warm food. You know, he was six feet under and pushing up daisies. He was really, really dead. The show is over. That's all, folks. Thanks for coming. Well, Jesus isn't concerned about any of that. He says in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Here's the deal. If Mary and Martha had their way, they would have missed seeing a resurrection. They would have missed seeing a resurrection. And sometimes we have to trust that God has a better plan for our future. Come on, say amen. That we can't figure things out with God. God's ways are not our ways. We've got to trust God. Take away the stone. So they rolled it away. Now I want you to catch this. Could you imagine the drama in this moment? Verse 41 says, Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In other words, Father, I thank you that Lazarus is now alive. How does Jesus know that Lazarus is now alive? Because when they break the seal of that tomb, no stench. There's no odor. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. What does he mean by that? Because he had not been praying prior to saying, remove the stone. What's he talking about here? Well, do you remember those two days when he was delayed, delaying coming back? He wasn't doing nothing during that time. He was doing the most important thing you can do. He was doing the thing that keeps hope alive. He was praying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, bring some heaven down to this earth. That's what he was doing. Then Jesus said it in verse 43, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man rises up to life and comes walking out of the tomb. Can you imagine being there in that moment? Can you imagine how much partying and celebration took place that night in that town of Bethany? Can you imagine that? 
But the Bible in John, the book of John, doesn't give any reference to any kind of partying or celebration taking place at all. And I think it's because this, this resurrection story is not the ultimate resurrection story, all right? Because Lazarus is still mortal. He's still going to die. In fact, the next chapter talks about how the, how the Pharisees and chief priests were figuring out a way to kill Lazarus because his testimony was so effective. That kind of sucks, doesn't it? You, know, you beat death once, and I got to face it all over again, right? He's still mortal, right? Kind of a bummer. However, the ultimate resurrection will happen in just a few days. Because just as Jesus was the master teacher of life and the master liver of life, he also mastered death. And when he burst out of that tomb on Easter, death was ultimately defeated in your life and mine. Which means that wasting away does not have the last word in our lives. Which means Porky Pig was wrong. That's not all, folks. There's more. There's a greater reality. And that's why no matter what takes place in your life, you cannot lose heart. You cannot lose heart. Close with this last little story. I want you to look at this picture up here. Some of you may have seen this picture before. The title of this painting is Checkmate. It's a picture of a man that looks very much like the devil. He's playing chess with an ordinary looking guy. And the devil has him in checkmate. The king is done. He's in checkmate. Well, these two guys were traveling into Europe and they into a museum and they they see this painting. And one of these guys was a very famous chess champion. So when he saw this painting, he stopped and looked at it and said, something's not quite right with this painting. He told his buddy, you go and look at the rest of the museum. I'm gonna stay here and just study this, this little painting. Well, about an hour later, his buddy came around the corner and he sees his friend making a big scene. He's pointing and he's yelling and screaming something. And as he got closer, he heard him saying, we gotta find the artist. We gotta find the one who painted this because the title is wrong. It says checkmate, but the king, the king still has one more move. The king still has one more move. A Philistine giant was taunting the armies of God. He was blaspheming God, and everyone was afraid to face Goliath. And here comes this little boy, this shepherd boy, carrying McDonald's hamburgers to his brothers who are in the front line of the battle. And he hears this giant blaspheming the God he loves. And the next thing we see is David jumping over the embankments, running toward this giant, saying, hey, big boy, I don't like your mouth. And Goliath said, well, what are you going to do about it? And David said, you come at me with your spear and sword. I come at you, waging the good warfare of the Lord and it looked like it was over shows over that's all folks but the king the king still had one more move a man named Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions because he refuses to stop praying to his God in public we need some young people today who will stand up and refuse to say I will not I, I will keep praying to my God I will stand for my God these lions have not been fed in days Daniel looks like a McDaniel sandwich to them, I'm sure. That's all, folks. Show's over. But when morning rolls around, they find that God had put these lions on a low-protein diet, a, a McDaniel fast, if you will. Amen. Because Daniel's doing just fine. Because the king still had one more move. Moses convinces a million oppressed slaves to run away from the most powerful monarch on planet Earth. 
And so he, they're running away from the Egyptian National Guard behind them. In front of them is the uncrossable Red Sea. This has all the makings of an old-fashioned Holocaust. It's over. Time to go home. That's all, folks. But the king still had one more move, and God miraculously parted the Red Sea. And they walked through on dry ground. Jesus went down to help his good friend, Lazarus. And it cost him his life. Because a few days later, they tried him. They judged him. They beat him. They hung him on a cross to die. Then they put his body in a tomb to rot the way every other human being has rotted all throughout history. And they said to everyone, checkmate. The show's over. That's all, folks. Time to go home. But they were wrong. They were wrong because King Jesus still had one more move. I don't know. I don't know what wasting away looks like for you here tonight. But I've come from Phoenix to tell you that the King still has one more move in your life. You know, maybe it's a health thing you're going through. Maybe the doc doctors have told you it's terminal. The King still has the last move. Maybe your marriage is failing, or maybe it's falling apart. No, the king still has one more move. Maybe you have a son or daughter who is so far from God, and you pray for them, and they're just breaking your heart, and it looks like the show's over. No, the king still has one more move. Maybe it's a work-related thing, a business-related thing. Maybe you're facing what Lazarus faced, and it looks like the end. I'm here to tell you, the king has one more move. Whatever you're facing, the promise of Jesus is not the promise of optimism. It is a promise of ultimate hope. It's the promise that whatever you're facing in your life today, the king still has one more move. Amen? Would you all stand to your feet for a closing prayer? And just before you close your eyes and kind of shut yourself away with the Holy Spirit, would you look this way for a moment? I never want to take for granted that everyone in a place like this has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a guy tell me a while ago, he said, uh, yeah, me, me and the Lord, you know, I, I know Jesus, we're just not in fellowship right now. I'm like, well, that's the whole point, is to be in fellowship with God. This is what I want to tell you right now. Listen carefully. If you're going to put your ultimate hope in something in this world, don't put your ultimate hope in something that can change or be taken away from you. Now you think about that. Don't put your ultimate hope in something that can change or be taken away from you. I've watched people put their ultimate hope in the stock market. The stock market crashes and there goes their hope. I've watched people put their ultimate hope in a spouse and the spouse goes to heaven and there goes their hope. Don't put your ultimate hope in anything that can change or be taken away from you. Put your hope in Jesus Christ, the one who says, I changeth not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Pin your hopes to him. If you'll say, Luke, I want to do that tonight. How does that happen to somebody like me, a human being like me? I, I want to know God. I want to be in relationship with God. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross for you, rose from the grave, then you can be saved. If you just ask him tonight, the Bible says, call upon the name 
of the Lord. How many of you have cell phones? Raise your hand real high. You all know how to make a phone call, right? In a very real way, you just call upon the name of the Lord and say, save me. And you trust that his power and presence will fill your life. All across this place, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If you say, Luke, I believe that God is calling me tonight. I believe he's speaking right to my heart tonight. And I want to respond to what God is doing in my spirit tonight. I want to call upon the name of the Lord. I want to be a Christian. In order for you to truly experience transformation, friends, something from the outside of your life has to be injected to the inside of your life. So like if you were to walk out in the parking lot tonight and you put your key in the ignition and crank the wheel, nothing happens, right? What would you do? You'd, you'd wave somebody over and say, do you have some jumper cables? And they would pull their car over and they would begin to impute or inject life from their very alive battery into your very dead battery. And man, that thing would jolt alive. That's what happens when we ask God to bring his power into our life. He comes to live within us, his presence. Doesn't that sound good? Doing life on this earth with God. Oh man, he loves you. He knows all about you. Now he wants you to know him. So all across this place, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you say, Luke, this is my moment. I believe God is speaking to me tonight. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ tonight. Just raise your hand up and down. I want to pray for you tonight. Just put your hand up and down. I just want to, yes, I just want to receive, I just want to receive Christ in my life tonight. Thank God. There's a few. Yes, thank God. Yes, I see the hand. Thank God. How many others? Just raise your hand up and down. So thank you. I see that gal. Thank, thank you so much. Bless you. How many others tonight? Thank God. Now let's pray. Let's the rest of us join in with those who are praying this for the first time. Just say this right from your heart to God. Dear Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I give you my heart. You said in the Bible, if I would ask you, you would forgive me. And I believe that's true. So I'm asking you now for your forgiveness, for your grace, and for your presence in my life. I need you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for forgiving me and adopting me into your family. I am now a follower of Jesus. And I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 